Good morning, uh, Church 21 uh, downtown. It's such a pleasure to be here with you this morning. My name is uh, Brian. I'm one of the pastors here at Church 21. It has been such a long time since I have had the opportunity to be in person in front of you. I've done a few live streams from here with a very select few, but not all of you together. The church downtown has looked so much different than it did the last time I was here. There are some familiar faces, and I'm so glad to see you guys for sure. Uh, and uh, But I'm really grateful that I get to be here today. Um, so yeah, my, my role over the years has been one of uh, care and counseling in the church. I, um, yeah, those are gifts that I got to work out and develop here at Church 21 over the years that I've been a part of this church. And uh, I now spend most of my time actually in my own private counseling practice. I offer biblical counseling. And uh, yeah, so I have such a great and wonderful opportunity in fact, to uh, help people see the truths, the beautiful, wonderful, and precious truths of Christ Jesus and how they, and the implications for them in our lives. That's what I get to do every day. Wow. It's so much fun. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's, anyway, I love it. Um, so today we're, uh, as um, was so eloquently read, by the way, if you ever want to do, you know, like the French version of Star Wars, Le que je suis ton père, you have the role. Like, honestly, awesome. Thank you. Yeah, um, it's cool. Uh, so yeah, we're going to be talking uh, in Prover about Proverbs uh, 22.4 uh, today. Uh, we're going to be talking about humility. Um, recently, I had this weird experience, like, Sometimes it's jarring because you don't really think of yourselves this way, uh, or maybe you do. I don't know. Um, I got a, in, in a sense, indirectly, through another individual who's going through a relational crisis with someone, I, I, I was lumped into this group of people that were considered high class. And I was like, high class? What does that even mean? Right? And um, to be honest with you, compared, when I, if I compare my life to others, I don't feel high class. And uh, I, I just, I I just know, I just feel like, look, I don't have the education that a lot of you people have. Uh, maybe my job choices aren't the job choices that the, the world uh, values. Um, and, uh, you know, really, uh, <laughs> just in terms of high class and the perception of, you know, whether someone is high class or not. I remember, this happened years ago. It's just a silly little thing. I remember someone on Facebook said, I can't stand when families uh, pose for pictures and their tongues are hanging out. It's so, like, in a sense, low class, they were kind of saying. And, of course, J Judy and I were kind of one of those people who were like, well, let's take a picture. <laughs> And so you go to my Facebook page, you can find it. I wanted to figure, I was going to actually try to get the slide here, but I didn't, I was like, ah, that's too much work, whatever. But yeah, so we are those disgusting people. I, we certainly are not not high class. So I think it's a perception, right? Every one of us kind of positions ourselves in life and where we are, what we have, and what we don't have, right? We have this vision about how life ought to be. Certainly the person who made that comment to that other person kind of saw this, this disconnect between their life and the life this other person was living in relation to 
the group of people that this person was part of. Uh, sounds a little convoluted. I wish it was actually me. That, whatever. Um, but just to say, um, <clears throat> some people are better equipped than others to understand and accept those differences uh, between our ideals and our reality. Some people are understand, like, oh, okay, it's just life. Uh, this, is, this is how things are for me, and this is how things are for them. Uh, but many aren't. Uh, and people are often driven by what they lack. Okay, they, to, to get to, they, they want and they have this desire to get to where uh, they think they should, to the things they should have, the life that they should have. What, how do I get to um, that ideal that I have, that picture for my life? Every one of us has this longing and desire in our hearts to some extent for something, right? Maybe it's not as petty as position and class, but it's something, right? It's, not, it's the job that you're looking for. It's the, the person, the relationship you want to be in. Maybe it's the relationship you don't want to be in, right? Like you have all the, like something's got to be better. We have a longing for things to be different. And at some level, our desire for what ought to be is a shadow of what God has already put in us that causes us to long for how life was back in the garden. There's a story, if you haven't heard it, about uh, man and woman, after they were being created, they had everything, uh, everything that they needed, and, um, and it was good. And it was really good, actually. Um, and so when we have this desire for things to be different than they are, in some ways it, it, it brings our hearts back to that time. Yet, and that's, so that's like from the beginning, right? And there's also this desire uh, for what we don't have that's as, for what we don't have, right? And that is also as old as our existence. Let's just think about for a minute an ant farm. Right? It, hope, I don't know if you. Ha I've actually never had an ant farm, but from what I understand, you have this little like container. Hopefully, it's hermetically sealed. You put dirt in it. You put food in it. You put all kinds of little things so that the ant can survive. What the, the ants are perfectly, you know, unless you really neglect them, right? They usually thrive and do everything that they need to do on their own. At least that's how I imagine it to be, right? God, uh, so here we are in the garden where God created Adam and Eve, man and woman. He's the creator of the universe and all that is in it. He created us and he base, basically put us in the best ant, ant farm better. We had everything. We had dirt, we had food, and we had a great relationship with God. All that we had to do, we, sorry, ants don't ask, what am I missing? Ants don't ask, I'm sure there's something, there's another better farm than this. They don't ask that. They just ant, right? They just act like ants. Yet, through the story of Adam and Eve in Genesis, we're tempted to believe, we were tempted to believe that there could be something better. That we could have something more that maybe God was holding back from us. In Genesis 3, the serpent, who we know to be Satan, who is an angel who rebelled against God, he said, did God actually say that you can't eat of the tree of the garden? Right? He, he questioned God's character. He questioned God's word. These, the thing, are the things that God instructed you to do, to say, that he said to you, the way he wants you to live, is it trustworthy? A lie was presented and God's character was put into question. 
Imagine, and I really don't want to freak you guys out, but imagine if I went to the nursery right now and I sat down with all the kids, right? And I said, kids, your parents aren't really your parents. Wow, right? Suddenly, I'm introducing a lie into their life. They probably wouldn't believe me, but imagine. Let's go with this analogy for a second. Imagine they did. And then they set out, they're like, okay, well, if these are not my parents, then I'm going to go and find my parents. And, they, and it's all based on a lie, right? You are their parents. But no, they're going to go on a mission and figure out where, where our parents are. And they're living out of this desire to, 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 to know who their, what their identity really is. Right? We're going to go find our real parents. Uh, in a real sense, your character has been put in question. Your authority has been put into question. Your identity as their parents has been put into question. Because of a lie that I told them, suddenly you're nobody. Or maybe nobody. Right? And based on that lie, they're looking for something or someone that doesn't exist. Interesting, right? It seems like an impossibility that kids could collectively rebel against their parents based on a lie, but really, is it impossible? Is it impossible? The Genesis story is a story of how we elevated ourselves over and above God in our hearts because of a lie. We had everything we wanted. Like the ant farm, we had no real need but we thought because of that lie, we could have something better. We questioned God's character. We questioned his nature, his authority, and we tried to find something better. We had everything, and, but we wanted more. And we believed that we knew better. Our desire for more than what God has already perfectly provided is the ultimate in pride. And it is certainly the opposite of worshiping God. It's worshiping anything but God. And it's basically an attempt to raise us up as gods. We're like little gods because we really actually don't have any power, but we think we do. In our hearts, we're belittling God and trying to elevate ourselves. And so, in our rebellion, we can see that over the years, how mankind has, until today, strived for more, for better, what we don't have and what we think we're owed. We set ourselves up as the final authority of what, life, of what a life of significance, meaning, and satisfaction is. We think we know best. And when we don't get it, we claw and we fight and we murder for what we want. And that view of what we think we need is even distorted. There's a way in which we, we know that life ought to be better, yet because we, we bought into this lie, we actually have no real idea of what better looks like anymore. One of the reasons that we look at, at books of wisdom in the Bible, like the book of Proverbs, is because we lack wisdom for these things. Sin blinds us to the truth, uh, and it, we, when we're left to our own devices, things look more and more out of focus. Just uh, spending a few moments of Proverbs, what we realize as we're reading these different scripture passages, these sentences that come off the page, it's like they are these really neat and clean words of truth. Uh, they bring clarity to life that opens our eyes to what God already has for us. 
Today's passage in Proverbs is a section, it's, it's nested in a section about wealth and poverty, but it's not just uh, financial, it's uh, wisdom for everyday life. Uh, and, and in the framework of what we have and what we lack, uh, for, uh, and the relationship between the two. Some classics within this section that you might have already heard are like Proverbs 22.7, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is the slave of the lender. So this is a great warning, right? Not to be overcome, uh, overcome by consumer debt, right? If we want to apply it to our lives right now, it's an amazing truth. We Like, okay, yeah, we shouldn't have a lot of credit card debt. And it, it also speaks to the tendency of those who have much uh, to use their power over those who have little, like 22, 28, 30% interest rates on those credit cards, right? We have a lot, we're going to lend it to you, but it's going to cost you. Right? So anyone with a credit card says, yeah, wow, that's so true. And the Spirit works through that truth and tension grows. And what do we say? Yeah, I, I need to get out of debt. I really need to get out of debt. And what you hope is that the bank reads Proverbs, which they probably haven't, but you hope they do. Uh, yeah, you know, we charge too much interest. We're going to cut that interest rate down. In fact, you know what? Zero percent, right? Wow, zero percent. That would be great. That's not really how life works, is it? Proverbs is bringing clarity life situations in a simple way. We just know that it rings true. Another proverb encourages those with a lot to share their abundance with those who have little. Proverbs 22.9 Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. The person who recognizes that they have much from God, they'll be generous. That's what this is, this is saying to us. But we might be tempted to think that these proverbs are rules for those who have and those who don't. Our hearts, who don't always have things, who, we don't always see things clearly, we can use scripture to get what we want. God says, you got to give me stuff, right? I read Proverbs 22.9 and oh, like, yeah, you have a lot, so give it to me, right? It's for me. Like, yeah, I like this proverb because I don't have enough, right? That's how we feel. That's what we, that's what we think. And we want to temper uh, God tempers all of these proverbs with a big reality about the haves and haves-nots. Uh, in verse 2, he says, Before God, rich and poor are equal. The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is maker of them all. It's like the great equalizer. There's a deep sense in, that, in which that created beings... beings uh, as created beings, our identity, we cling to money, wealth, and power, or being broke, poor, and powerless, and, and that all of that is tossed in the garbage before God. It's not about what you have and don't have. Like, we can get bogged down, and again, what are we going to get out of these passages, and how can they serve me? In a real way, God, through this proverb, proverb is moving in our hearts to what's most important. It's not about me. It's about him and not you. That's what's most important. And that's challenging to all of us, because we want this life to be so desperately about us. I'm speaking for myself, okay? I'm not accusing anybody. I wrestle with this all the time. My job, my well-being, my ministry, my family, my home, my needs, my desires, me, me, me. It's so much about me. We worship ourselves. It's the ultimate in idolatry. 
And I said, we've had this problem since the beginning in the garden. God says, rich or poor, you are not God. I am. That's the problem we had in the garden. And he's reminding of us, of, of us, reminding us of that now. The opposite of pride and idolatry, and idolatry is, you know, worshiping something other than God, is humility and worship of God. That's the opposite. And that's what we're here to talk about today. So in the verse that we chose today in this series, that's this, it's in the same grouping of Proverbs. It says, The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. We, in our passage today, we see humility being linked to worship and riches and honor and life. Sounds like a great deal, right? Again, if we're me-centered, it's because it's still about, all about me. In my broken and jacked-up heart, we work out the easiest shortcut to being humble. Oh, right. I, I want rich... We forget the worship part, by the way. Oh, I want riches and honor and life. So what do I do? Uh, I can be humble, and I'll get everything I want. Right? That's what we do. And we can somehow figure out how through humility to manipulate people to get what we want. Or even maybe manipulate God. So, in our sinful nature as human beings, what do we, what do we make up? False humility. It's a great one. False humility is fun because it allows me to have an appearance of being humble all the while feeding my self-centeredness. Oh, no. You know, I'm not so great. No, 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 no. And it's just this weird place that we put ourselves in. And this is where probably if you're a narcissist, you're going to get mad at me. The good thing is that if you're a narcissist, you probably don't even know it. So that's fine, right? Fortunately, uh, so what happens is I put myself down and I don't even entertain affirmations from anyone else. And I give the appearance of humility, but really I know, or at least I believe, what other people are saying is true, but I don't want them to think I think that way about myself. In fact, but the, the truth is I think I am great. And all this is to serve an appearance about how I look before others. Me, me, me. We're ultimately lying to ourselves. We are gaslighting those who want to show us appreciation. People who care about us express their appreciation and we take their appreciation and we throw it back in their face, making them feel like they've hurt you. Like, what? I just said something nice to you. Why are you acting like that? So we actually hurt others by distorting reality. The center of false humility is me. It's not humble at all, and it end it is self worship. Me, me, me. I've had a problem with uh, with this. I don't know if I'm admitting or not that I'm a narcissist. Sorry, uh, if I am, really sorry. Uh, but I've had a problem with false humility, and I've been called out on it. Like it's happened. I people have said nice things to me, and I kind of just threw it back at them. Not I didn't think it was in a mean way, but they probably didn't receive it very well. And it wasn't the right thing to do. So even in our, our ability to be humble can be distorted. The, it says, again, I'll read it, Proverbs 22.4, The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. We can't just read this passage and hear, be humble. 
Because it just doesn't work. Being humble, being known as being humble, or just being falsely humble is not the solution. Our passage today links humility with worship of God. And this is an important thing that we actually cannot forget, though I said before, we tend to. We all have a worship problem. We want what we want. Like in the garden, we believe we know better. We're convinced that in our marriages and our relationships and the circumstances of life, this can't be God's plan for my life. It just can't be. And to a certain extent, it, that can ring true, right? Life can be hard, right? There's a way in which that there is a brokenness in the world and pain and, and the hurt that it causes is not what God has for us. He's not what he wanted for us. When we kind of expose that to the life God had for us in the garden, in communion with him, in good and perfect relationship with him. But the truth is that ship sailed, right? We can't get back to the garden the way we think at least. We can't hope that God is just going to make everything perfect. We can't hope that there isn't going to be pain in this world, right? There is. Remember, the garden and being in his presence was the way life was, but we thought we could do better. We thought that we could leave the ant farm and figure it out. Your present circumstances are not outside God's plan for you. This is also another truth. As great or as garbage as your life might seem right now, God is present and wants to do great things both through and in spite of your circumstances. God knows we have a humility and worship problem. God is actively at work to help us with this problem. Because it's so important to God, like keenly important to God. He showed us what perfect humility and worship lo looks like in the person and work of Jesus Christ. In Jesus, God of all creation humbled himself and became man, and he did this so that those who believe in Jesus could have the ability by the power of the Holy Spirit to worship God. Paul explains it this way, and we read this scripture passage earlier on, but I will start in verse 5, and he, Paul says this. Having this in mind, this is in Philippians 2, Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Infinitely good. Look at this trajectory. God, highest possible being right? Not even created. Like, he just is, right? And he modeled perfect humility by becoming a weak, exposed to temptation, exposed to pain, and exposed to suffering man, human being, flesh, and he died. 
And by doing so, this exalted him for the glory of God. His ultimate humility, his ultimate humiliation by being made dead, by being killed, actually served to exalt him and glorify God. Worship. This is our goal. This is our aim. This is what humility looks like. In Jesus, humility is dying to the brokenness of humanity. When we have faith in Jesus, as Paul says, we no longer do everything for me. We count others more significant. We look to others' interests, not our own. In Jesus, we can die to everything because in Jesus, we once again, like in the Garden of, uh, the Garden of Eve, have everything. In Jesus, we have everything. We no longer need to grasp for the things we think we need, knowing that God will provide all we need. In Jesus, when we humble ourselves like him, Jesus is made great. That is what true humility looks like, because it leads to and is born out of our desire to worship God. And Paul, and this is what Paul says, it brings us encouragement and comfort and love and participation in what the Holy Spirit is doing. It brings us godly affection, sympathy, and joy. There's something, there's this desire that we want. Like I said, there's this feeling that we just don't have what we want, right? There's a feeling that maybe my needs won't get met if I'm not the one in control of them. But it, Jesus tells us in Matthew uh, chapter 6, verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, right? It's not go looking for the things that you need, but look to God and his holiness, his righteousness, his perfection, causing us to worship him and all of these things will be added to you. This passage talks about worry that we have for our needs, but it could speak also to our deeper needs, not just about food and clothing, but identity, significance, and meaning of life. There's an incredible spiritual truth, right? That knowing that God is taking care of our deeper, uh, th knowing that God is taking care of our deeper longings and needs, it's an invitation to trust in Him for everything. God is with us. God is for us, and He's working all things out for our good and His glory. And believing that. And I tell you this with all conviction, time and time again in the counseling room, when someone comes to this realization and believes that, it brings peace. It brings peace. And it brings healing to our hearts like no other truth can. And it should change the way we pray and what we pray for rather than demanding that God fulfill our desires in humility we seek God for his desires for our lives my favorite passage probably bring it up almost at least every other sermon if not every James 4 I'll just read it here you desire and you do not have so you murder you covet and cannot obtain so you fight and quarrel you do not have because you do not ask you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions you adulterous people and then later James says humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you this is an invitation for us to rewind 
require our prayers and our thinking and to look to God. This is why we pray, right? One of the reasons why we pray is because we start off saying, Dear Lord, I want the Lamborghini, and God changes those prayers, puts the Lamborghini out of our lives, and, so, and then it turns into, Dear Lord, I want to live for you. And I don't care. I don't give a rip about the Lamborghini. I know you guys don't care about Lamborghinis, but whatever. You know what I'm saying. I'm from a different era. We care about Lamborghinis, okay? <laughs> I'm dating myself. Whatever. This, the, the truth is that in our prayers to God and in our relationship with the God and by the power of the Holy Spirit, there's going to be a transformation process that takes place and our cares for ourselves in humility should turn into our cares for what God wants for our life. Amen? Yeah. If I surrender my desires to God, it's an act of worship. But in Christ, I'm no longer a rebellious, selfish, prideful fool. But God exalts or raises me up in Jesus, and it puts our hearts and our humanity in the right place in Jesus. John the Baptist knew this. So he had a ministry, he had followers, and he had the whole thing going on. And before he went to jail, right, because things didn't go well at some point for him, and got beheaded, uh, things looked like they were pretty good for John the Baptist. So he didn't even have that in his purview when he said this. So in, uh, in John chapter 3, there's this discussion with John's disciples, and he's like, hey, there's Jesus kind of doing what you're doing. Aren't you worried about that? What's going on? And he, so they came to him, and they say, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness, bear me witness, that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. Even John is able to articulate, I am not God. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom, the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. You see, he's seeing the greatness of Jesus and this is making, bringing peace to his life. He doesn't need to have stature and importance and all of the things that come with that. He's happy to let Jesus take it all and his joy is complete. And he finishes with this. He says, he must increase, but I must decrease. Right? That's humility. It isn't being humble, it is about Jesus increasing and us decreasing. And But in a weird and great, amazing way, that exalts us because in Jesus we are raised up with him. Over and over again, John points to Jesus and he recognizes that Jesus must take his place on the throne of his heart and the hearts of those around him and not our own ambitions. Jesus has to take that place. For all are striving for what we want in the end of this earth, what will be left? The worldview. I don't know if people, you know, we all want to know what Amber Heard is saying these days. She said something, all I ever needed is myself. That's the worldview. Right? That, didn't, that probably isn't, doesn't ring true. It's not like a proverb that aligns your heart and wisdom towards God, right? It aligns, it aligns that towards yourself. Tell that to if she could speak to one-year-old Amber Heard that all you need is yourself, it probably wouldn't go so well. Because it's not true, right? She needed somebody. She needed somebody to feed her. Let's talk about that, right? In this series, we've been looking at wisdom and sexual purity 
and life-giving speech last week. Today, humility. In a f- next week and the weeks after, good friendships, spoiler alert, by the way, good friendships, regulated emotions, good relationships, and life. And we want all of these aspects of our lives to be better. But unless we decrease in humility and make way for submission and worship of God, all of it will be me-centered and not God-centered. Don't miss the point of this series. It's not about you. It's about Jesus and making his name great. Sure, we can look back on our lives and hope maybe we have a legacy, but even that legacy can be precarious. And we all, you always hear it, like in a few generations or even in a few months or weeks or years, the person that's passed is going to be forgotten. Eh? And if they don't know God, let's really admit that that's it. But by grace, if you've been saved, and then you pass and go on to be with God, what can be said about you? Recently, um, one of my clients actually passed away before I actually got to meet with him. So I don't know him. But there's one thing I do know about him. He loves Jesus, and he's with him now. And that is his legacy. And we can raise him up and say, look, look at this guy, Tom. He loved Jesus, and we know that about him. But it's not because of Tom, but it's because of what Jesus did in his life. And that, can, that is our hope as well for the future, not just for things to get better here on earth, but our future hope in Jesus and in eternity with him. That's our hope. That's our legacy. My encouragement to you today is not to be humble, walk in humility. Walk in humility. We want to be in prayer, seeking God's kingdom and his righteousness, and he will give you what you need. The riches that we have for walking humbly and worshiping God is first and foremost our salvation. With We have in Christ, if we are saved, if we are made new by him, we have everything in him everything. Some of you have been coming here and hearing about Jesus and been asked to consider Jesus and faith in him, and you're resistant because of what you might lose. This Jesus that we're presenting to you has humbly shown you that he's done all the hard work of actually dying for you so that you can have life in him. And in faith, you can humbly leave the things that you cling to and seek him and trust him and follow him and worship him. In Jesus, we receive the honor of knowing that we belong to God. In Jesus, we have everything we need for life and godliness. Let's make Jesus' name great in everything that we do and worship him, and you will have more than you need, and you will be exalted with him, and you will live life as fully human. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you that you are a good and great God. We thank you. We thank you for the perfect life in Jesus that he showed us, what it looks like to live in submission to you for all things, regardless of where things are going, regardless of the future that he knew he was going to die on the cross. He submitted that to you. Not my will, Lord, but yours be done. Lord, give us a heart like Christ to submit to you and your will for our lives. Lord, we thank you for the death that he died for our sins so that we could be made clean in you, so that we could be 
made new so that we could be reconciled to you. Lord, we thank you that he conquered death and that in trusting in him, Lord, trusting in Jesus, we have the opportunity to be with you forever. Thank you, God, for what you're doing in our midst. Help us to humbly submit to you and help us to live as you call us to, with trust and worship. In Jesus' name, amen.